Father, we thank you again tonight for bringing us here, and Lord, helping us uh, in all that we do here in the Bible study and in the singing. Father, we are grateful for your indwelling presence. We're grateful, Father, that when um, we come together, we are in your midst. You're in our midst. Lord, we ask that you help us to be aware of that. Help us to be aware of your presence as we continue this meeting tonight. Lord, we do pray for uh, Miss Linda and family. We, we thank you for the progress with Mr. Rabb and ask for uh, continued and complete recovery. And we pray for David and ask uh, for recovery for him as well, Father. Give those who are treating him wisdom. We pray to do uh, all that's necessary to aid him in, uh, in being healed. Father, we ask again for your aid as we open your word and consider these few verses. We pray, Lord, that you will open up our minds, open up our understanding so that we may hear your truth and grasp it and so that it may work toward our sanctification and increase our faith in you, increase our love for you and our desire for you. And Father, we pray work all of these things out in such a way that you are glorified, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you would, turn with me again to John 14. Any uh, pressing questions or comments on this morning? This morning's message? I will come again. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it means a lot. Amen. Amen. He is with us and in us. Going to see a little bit more of that in these next few verses, as a matter of fact. But uh, uh, and well, not just the next few verses, but the next couple of chapters. Okay. Um, I think what I'll do is go back and, and uh, read from verse 1 again because we, this morning we covered verses 1 through 6 and uh, I think stopping as I, I did this morning in verse 6 was, was a, appropriate for what we were zeroing in on. However, um, you know, that's kind of in the middle of a statement, uh, so to speak. I mean, Jesus is answering Thomas concerning his question. So we're going to pick up in verse 7, but, but I want to uh, just make sure we, we get the context. So let's go back and, and uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 6 and read, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 1 and read 1 through 14. And remember, this is the last supper. Jesus and the disciples gathered around uh, the table, reclining at table for the Passover meal. Verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, 
that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. May the Lord bless the hearing of His Word. Verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. All right, so... First, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, Thomas raises a question in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So here's the, here's the setting. Jesus is still telling them that he's going away. Where I'm going, he says, you cannot come now, but you will come afterward. And, of course, they, they, they're confused by this. Peter says, why can't we go with you now? You know, I'm willing, I'm willing to die for you. Uh, back in the latter part of chapter 13. And, of course, Jesus responds to that by saying, before the cock crows tonight, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. So, so that's the setting. Jesus is talking about going. And we, we talked about this morning what that means. He's going to accomplish our salvation. So where He is going is to the cross. And the reason that He's going, in other words, this morning I put it this way, what's the nature of salvation? It is to to bring us into fellowship with God. So in order to bring us into fellowship with God, He has to um, provide sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And so that's the means of salvation. He's going to the cross. And that's what He means by, I go to prepare a place for you. It's not that He's uh, building a, a, a structure for us. It's that He's going to accomplish something in our behalf. He's going to atone for our sins. That's the way that He prepares the place for us. And the place that He prepares is a a place in the family of God. In my Father's house, our household, are many dwelling places. Jesus says, I'm preparing one for you. That is, I'm going to the cross so that you may have fellowship with God. Now, He says, you know, verse 4, you know the way 
to where I'm going. I can't take you now. You'll come afterward. I will come again, as Bob pointed out a minute ago, verse 3. I will come again and will take you to myself. But that's after he has accomplished what he's going to accomplish. So that where I am, you may be also. And again, that's, 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 that's what we're looking for. That is salvation, to be where he is. Forever and ever. Never, I like, you know, in Thessalonians, Paul says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So never to be separated again from God. That's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's the end of our salvation. Going to prepare a place. I'm coming back to take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way Verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. Now, I mentioned this morning that's puzzling uh, to the disciples, and so Thomas speaks up. You know, he's uh, obviously thinking, if, if I don't even know where I'm going, how is it possible that I know the way? So he's saying, you know, we don't know the way, Lord. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus has said you know the way because they know Him, and He's the way. So his response, I am the way. That is, you do know, Thomas, you do know the way because I am the way and you know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father if not through me. So, in other words, he is the only, the only access to the Father. The only access, we could say, um, to God. There is no other mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. That is the truth of God, the life of God. So, apart from Him, there's, there's no knowledge uh, in, in reality of truth, the truth of God. Apart from Him, there's no experiential knowledge of the life of God. Jesus saying, I'm it. I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth of God. I'm the life of God. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's no restoration of, of, of fellowship. There's no reconciliation with God apart from the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, apart from the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. In Adam... We were separated, right? Everybody knows the, the story of the, the Garden of Eden, and, and uh, uh, it, it's a historical, I believe, a historical account. In other words, it happened just as, uh, just as the Bible communicates it to us. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. And from that point on, man has been and I mean mankind, human beings, have been separated from God with, with no way to bridge that gap. We were sinners, and God is holy and just, and so there's a, what has been described you know, by many as a great chasm between us and God, and there's no way to, to bridge it. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you and I you or I can accomplish in order to, to, uh, 
to, to fill that gap, you know, to, to win favor with God and restore ourselves to right relationship because we can't undo the sin in our lives. We can't make sufficient atonement for it. And so God sends His only begotten Son into the world to do just that. To live righteousness in our behalf, to suffer in our behalf, to bear the full outpouring of the wrath of God in our behalf on Calvary's cross, to be raised, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, assuring us that all who have faith in Jesus Christ have reconciliation with God through faith in Him. In other words, Jesus, His atoning sacrificial death has covered our sin, has, has removed our sin and restored us to fellowship with God, fellowship that was lost in Adam. Now what Jesus is saying is there's no other route to take to get to that place. I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father. He's very explicit and, he's in, and absolute in, in the way that he phrases it. No one comes to the Father if not through me. So if you're coming an, another way, Jesus is saying, it's ineffectual. It's vain. Now, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, didn't they know Christ? Didn't they know Jesus? Well, certainly. So what, what does he mean? And I, I, I think he's just getting at here what we've talked about many times as we've gone through this. They didn't fully understand. They, they, they knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. They understood Him to be the Messiah. And yet, they didn't fully understand because they, they, they did not understand that He was God in flesh. They did not understand much about uh, the kingdom. They did not have a grasp on the atoning sacrifice that he was about to make. So they knew, but they didn't know. And Jesus is before them 24-7, living out the perfect expression of the Father. And as there he is in their midst, by, by his very life, his words and his deeds, explaining God to them. In other words, when they look at him, they see God. And I'm not just talking about a, a physical appearance, but I'm talking about, again, his, his characteristics, his nature. Because he's one. He goes on to talk about that. He's one, in essence, with the Father. He says, I'm in the Father, and the Father's with me. And he's, he's describing there a, a, a perfect unity. So as he lives without lives before them day day in and day out, just in being who he is and doing what he does, he is showing them God. But they don't they don't get that, they don't grasp that. And so Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. That's, an, that, that's really a, a... You know, I feel like I can't do that justice. That's really an astounding statement. Um, I can stand up here all day long and tell you the truth. I mean, assuming, assuming I were to preach all day and get everything right, I could stand up here all day long and tell you the truth, and I would never be able to say, you know what? If you've known me, 
If, if you've really seen me and got a clear picture of me, then you've got a clear picture of God. I can't say that. No man can say that. Jesus could say that. <laughs> he could say that. It, was, it wasn't just getting the facts straight. Just, again, just being who he was, was was revealing the nature and character of God. Now, if, if you watch me, you'll learn who I am. And that's, if you watch Jesus, you'll learn who he is. At the same time, you'll learn who God is because he is God. So he says, if you've known me, or if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So he, again, he's, he's driving that home and reiterating that. Now you know because you've seen me. Because you've just spent three, three and a half years following me, watching me, loving me. You've seen me in all of these different circumstances. You've seen the works. You've seen and heard the grace flow. Now you do know him. This is kind of like um, talking to Thomas about the way, isn't it? You know, you just don't know you know. That's what he was telling Thomas about the way. How can we know the way, Lord? Well, you do. You do. You know the way because you know me and I'm the way. You just, you just don't understand that you know the way. And it's the same way here. From now on, you do know Him. He's saying, you do know the Father now because you know me. But they're not quite getting that yet. In fact, in fact uh, Philip's request here bears that out. Um, Jesus says, from now on you do know, and I think, he's, again, he's referring to uh, from now on, meaning you know, his whole ministry, that the fact that they've been with him all this time, from now on you know the Father and you have seen him. That is, he's been, he's been revealed right in front of your eyes. Now you know him and have seen him. But again, Philip doesn't, is still not getting it, and he says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. One thing, one thing that is here commendable, I mean, if you know, Philip, again, he's just like uh, Thomas and the others. He doesn't grasp everything that Jesus is saying. But he wants to see the glory of God. Now, oddly enough, even though he's a follower of Jesus, even though he's been with Jesus all this time, the glory is shining right in his face. And he's blind to it, at least in part. I mean, there it is. <laughs> it's, like, it's like having the, the sun just, bam, right in your eyes and not being able to see it. Something's in the way. It's not getting a clear picture. Not that the glory's dim, it's not. But he's just not seeing clearly. Somewhat like the man that Jesus heals, I think it's in Mark 9. The blind man Jesus touches and the man says, I see men as trees walking. You know, he, he can see, but he can't see. He can't see clearly. Men look like trees walking. It's kind of a 
funny way to put it, but in, in other words, everything's not clear. And then Jesus touches him again, and he can see clearly. It's a progression there. Great picture, I think, of uh, our experience in salvation. That's kind of what you see here. They see, but they don't see. So Philip says, show us the Father. It's kind of reminiscent of Moses, isn't it? Lord, show me your glory, and I'll be satisfied. That's a good desire, by the way. <laughs> That's a good desire. Show me, show me your glory. In fact, you could equate this, and, and, and just like, well, you could and you couldn't. You could equate it in this sense. It's like, it's like Moses asking Yahweh, show me your glory. And yet it's unlike it in the response, because in the response, the Lord basically tells Moses, well, I'm going I'm to hide you in, the, the, in a rock, the cleft of a rock, and I'm just going to pass by. You can't see my face, so I'm only going to allow you to see my hinder parts. So Moses kind of gets a, a, a backward view of the reflection of the glory of God. I mean, he just gets a glimpse of a backward view of God's glory. But here, here, the, the full expression of it in the person of Jesus Christ is, is right there before Philip. Philip says, Lord, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Let me, let me see God. I want to know Him. And Jesus says in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Show me the Father, Philip says, and Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Now let me say something here. There are groups out there that use passages like this. Um, Oneness Pentecostals, for example, uh, like the United Pentecostal Church and others. Um, you know, the Pentecostals of Bozier and wherever else. Now a lot of them have kind of changed their name now um, to the Pentecostals. But um, these Oneness groups, you know, they'll use passages like this and others to say that there's really no distinction between Jesus and the Father. It's just a matter of playing different roles at different times, different modes. So I just want to say that, uh, you know, that, that, that's an incorrect view. And there certainly is distinction, and you, you, you see that in the rest of the conversation. He, he keeps referring to uh, uh, himself and the Father, not as the same person, but as two different persons. Nevertheless, as I pointed out earlier, he's the perfect expression of the Father. They are one in essence. So, the glory of the Father is seen... In Jesus Christ. Have I been with you so long? In other words, he, again, he's just saying in a, in a different way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, I've been showing you for three or three and a half years. Again, remember chapter 1. I'm going to read that verse real quick. Chapter 1, verse 18. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's a reference to Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known or explained Him or narrated Him. That is, Jesus has told us all about the Father, told us who the Father is, what He's like in His own life and person and being. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now he's describing the unity that exists between uh, himself and the Father. And there, and there you see the distinction, by the way. Even though he is describing a, a, a perfect unity of essence, there still is a distinction. It, that is, it is unity between two persons, Jesus and the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So he's saying, uh, the words that I speak, the works that I do, originate from the Father. Everything that I'm doing is just an expression of God's will. Everything that I'm doing is an expression of God's character. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, that's at least about the third time he's made that uh, statement. You know, believe me for the works' sake. Uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 36, and then chapter 10, verse 37 and 38, you have similar sayings. So, um, basically, I mean, he's just saying, what, everything that I do perfectly demonstrates the will of God and the character of God. Therefore, if you're not going to believe me for any other reason, at least believe me for the works that I'm doing. Now, verse 12. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 12 through 14 again. This is kind of a, um, an interesting... Well, not kind of. This is an interesting statement. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's an amazing statement, isn't it? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Well, what is, what is Jesus saying? And when's the last time that you or I did a greater work than Jesus? I mean, just going through this one gospel, we, we've read about things like his changing water into wine or healing the lame, like the invalid at, at the pool of Bethesda, feeding multitudes, raising Lazarus from the dead. Anybody done any of those things this week? <laughs> How about since you've been saved? 
What is he saying? I'll tell you what, I, I, have, I have puzzled over this for years because um, this is one of those places where if you, if you try to get around Jesus' words, I mean, you know, try to smooth them over. So he's not quite saying what he's saying. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult and, and <laughs> you know, you can't do it with any integrity. He says what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Let me say this first before I attempt to answer my own question. I think all of this, again, is, is part of the assurance and the encouragement that he's offering to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, or, or believe in God is an imperative. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's, he's giving them, uh, in, in terms of his crucifixion anyway, he's giving them last-minute encouragement, building up, edification, shoring up, giving them some, setting something out there before them to look forward to, you know, beyond the cross. Now, they, they don't even fully understand everything that's about to happen, but nevertheless, Jesus does, and He knows that what lies ahead in the next, uh, in the next hours, the next three days, is going to be extremely trying, extremely distressing, extremely difficult. So He's placing things out there beyond that. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, once I get there, you know, once, once I've accomplished everything, once I'm back in the presence of the Father, sharing the glory that I had with Him before the world was, once I'm there, once all has been accomplished, I may bring you to Myself so that you may be with Me where I am. So He's, he's putting things out there beyond the cross, and I think this is one of those things, verses 12 through 14. Um, and not going that far as far as the final glorification, but just going to the other side of the cross. The, the ministry of, of the disciples, of, of the twelve, or, or the eleven rather, the ministries of, of, of the apostles, and all believers on the other side of the cross. In other words, the kingdom age, the church age. I think that's what Jesus has in view here. And He's basically saying, you, you've seen the works that I've done. Now, you're going to do greater works than these, and you're going to ask anything in My name, and I will do it. Well, see, none of that looks realistic right now when He's facing Gethsemane and Golgotha. I mean, just in the next few hours, He's going to be arrested, hauled off, beaten and crucified. So He's giving them something on the other side of that. Now, what does He mean? Truly, truly, I say to you. That's another one of those... Uh, it's, it's, it's a strong statement. I mean, he's, he's, he's grabbing our attention here. Amen, amen! I say to you, Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do. So let me zero in on that. Greater works than these will He do. 
How so? Well, let me say a few things that I think it's not. In the first place, I mean, I don't think you can just pull the miracles out and say, well, you know, he's not talking about miracles and things like that. I don't think you can do that. I think it's clear here. Jesus has already talked about the works that he's been doing. Now he says, you're going to do those works and greater works. So he's not just talking about something like loving or something like that. He's, he's, he's talking about all his ministry, the, thing, the works that he's been doing. It would include loving, but also include um, the signs that he was doing. So you're going to do the works you've seen me do and greater works. Well, we know the kind of works that he's done. And again, I think you've got to lump all of that in there and certainly... Um, you may, there may be debates, there are debates out there today. You may have debates today about whether or not um, God is working signs through people uh, still to this day. Um, you know, that's another thing, we won't go there right now. But you may have that debate out there. But, but one thing we know for sure, right, is that He definitely did it through the apostles and those around them. So, in other words, in the book of Acts you certainly see that fulfilled, right? I don't think it's limited to them. Um, The way that Jesus says it here, whoever believes in me. He doesn't just say, you know, you... you." Now there's 11 because Judas is is going to betray him. But he doesn't just say, you 11. He doesn't just say, you here in the room. There may have been some other disciples. He doesn't just say you, but he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Well, like I said, we see at least at least a partial fulfillment of that uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, some would argue that's, you know, it's, it's over since then. Well, okay, so at least it, even if that's the case, uh, and I don't think it is, but even if that's the case, um, still it's fulfilled there. But that still leaves us with the next statement, greater works than these. So he says, those who believe will do the works that I do, and greater works. Now that's hard to wrap your mind around. Greater than what? Are greater in what way? Some have tried to say, well, he just means more. In other words, because there's going to be the church age comes on the scene and there's going to be more people in ministry. So he just means by greater, more. You know, more there's going to be more things happening. But, but again, I think that's a stretch. And I think that's really kind of trying to make it say something that Jesus is not saying. He's, he doesn't say more. <laughs> he says greater. Greater works. Well, greater how then? How do, you, how do you top something like raising Lazarus from the dead? So, just to keep it short for the sake of time, let me just say that I, that I don't think that's an option. I don't, think, I don't think he means greater in that way. As, you know, we're going to do greater miracles than he did. So, in what sense is it greater then? Well, I think that it just has to do with um, where we're at in redemptive history. Let me, let me give you kind of a, what I think serves as kind of a parallel here um, real quick. In, in, uh, in Matthew 11, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, Matthew 11, verse 11. Truly I say to you, 
among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And he uses the same word there. Jesus uses the same word, greater, there that he uses over in John. Now consider that for a moment. There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Well, greater in in what sense? We know John did no miracles. And you go back and read the accounts of the lives of Elijah and Elisha, my word, (laughs) it's amazing, it's astounding, just miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle. Or, you know, go back to Moses and the, the, the power that God demonstrated through the hands of Moses and at the, at the words of Moses. It's amazing. So, I mean, you could compare, just for example, Moses or, or Elijah and Elisha, compare them to John the Baptist, and how, how, would you, how would you say that John the Baptist is greater than they? And yet Jesus says that he was, even though he didn't do any miracles. And I think it just simply has to do with historical redemptive history. In other words, the time in which John the Baptist comes on the scene is a greater time. And therefore, his role as the one who prepares the way of Yahweh, he prepares the way of the Lord himself. His ministry, because of the time in which God has placed him, he is ushering in, in one sense, the kingdom age, because he's announcing the coming of the king, Jesus. So his ministry is directly related to the ministry of Jesus. Even in, you know, in, in, in his age, he only preceded him by six months. He was six months older than Jesus. So it's greater in that sense. It has to do with, with the time. And I think that's the same thing that Jesus is saying in John. Whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do, because I am going to the Father. He's saying there's, there's going to be a major shift, a major transition a major switch in dispensations. I mean, we're going from Old Covenant to New Covenant to the church age. And so even in the, even in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus plainly said, I've not, I've not come except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus was perfectly capable of traveling beyond Judea, preaching the gospel in other lands. It wasn't time. It wasn't God's way. It wasn't God's timing. And besides, He had to accomplish redemption at the cross. He had to accomplish our atonement, the atonement for our sins at the cross. 
And once He's done that, once He has gone to the cross, prepared a place for us, and then gone to the Father, ascended to the Father, now the gate is swung open wide for the expansion of the Gospel. And that's exactly what the apostles were called to do and did. A couple of examples according to tradition. Uh, it was Thomas, the same one mentioned here. Uh, Thomas who took the Gospel to India. And according to tradition, it was Mark who took the Gospel to Egypt. And to this day, to, you can pick up a paper probably today. I haven't looked at today's paper, but I've seen it this week. To this day, the church in Egypt is being persecuted and it is the, it is the church that according to tradition was founded by the Apostle Mark. They're called Coptic Christians. We have from them very, very early um, manuscripts of the New Testament, Coptic um, manuscripts and translations of the Bible. And, and Mark was credited with taking the Gospel there to Egypt. And that, that church still exists. They're, they're under great threat today, by the way. In fact, just this week, I'll just mention this real quick, but, um, because, you may, you, we, because we need to pray about this. Um, there's been great persecution in Sudan. I saw uh, this week, and I did see this today. You can find it in the news today. There's a group called the Barnabas Foundation. It's a Christian organization. I'm not sure exactly what all they do. Um, but right now, one thing they're going to do is airlift Christians out of Sudan because the persecution is so severe. Uh, they're trying to help them get out of there. And, uh, and then, of course, the Coptic Christians, again, are under assault in Egypt. Um, so, you know, some brothers and sisters to pray for. So I think that's what Jesus means. It's because of the point in history. Greater works because He's now accomplished the atonement for our sins and has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Greater works than these you will do, that is, whoever believes, they will do, whoever believes, because I am going to the Father. In verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And now let me say this real quick too. I've been saying, you know, greater works will they do, those who are, whoever believes, that, because it is what Jesus said. But in reality, the works are His. It's not ours. He says, I'm going to do them. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So even the works that he's attributing to those who believe are his works. He says, you're going to do greater works than me. But in reality, the works that you do and the greater works that you do are my works. It's still him at work. Whatever you ask in my name, verse 13 says, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise that is. And we don't have time. I, in fact, Jesus is going to expound on that in the rest of the, of the chapter as He begins to talk about the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So we'll come back to that next week. But just, just for now, let me, let me say this. When he, when he uses the phrase, in my name, He's talking about um, asking or acting, you know, whatever context you, you see that in, in my name. He's talking about asking or acting in accordance with who He is, in agreement with who He is. It's, it's not a magical cantation that you tag on the end of a prayer to make it work. 
That's the way a lot of people have taken it a lot of times. If I say, in Jesus' name, then my prayer, it's, it's got it's to be good. It's got to be effective because Jesus said, you ask in my name, I will do it. That's not what He's talking about. In my name, name has to do with His character, who He is. And He says, when you ask in my name, it, it's meaning in submission to Him, under, under his, the auspices of His authority, in agreement and in accordance with His will. Now, if we ask like that, He says, I will do it. And I think what He's got in view here with the greater works and asking in My name and I will do it, I, I think what He's got in view there is the expansion of the Gospel. He's not saying, hey, here's your genie in a bottle. You want to be glorified, go for it. Just ask in My name and I will just pour the glory out on you. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about seeking the glory of God. Seeking the glory of God. You're going to do greater works. Ask whatever you will in accordance with My character and nature and I'll do it. He's got in mind glorifying God. He's got in mind the expansion of the Gospel. He's giving them something on the other side of the cross that He's going to do through them. Greater works. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word and we're thankful for Your grace in using us in Your kingdom work. Allowing us, giving us the privilege to be part of what You are doing in this world. And Lord, um, even now, in the, the, the small part of the world that we have an influence in as a church or, or as individuals, we, we ask for Your wisdom in being faithful, faithful to Your mission, faithful to Your will and Your character. As we uh, go out into the world this week, Lord, we pray May we go out with Your glory in view, committed to kingdom work. And may we we do whatever we put our hands to. May we purpose to do it for Your glory and honor and for the salvation of those around us who don't know You and for the edification of brothers and sisters in Christ. Use us to that end, we pray. And we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen.